Um, if you don't know me, I'm Katja Stille. I'm director at Tibbles Planning and Urban Design, as well as the current treasurer of the UDG. And um, I welcome you back after the coffee break to hopefully another really interesting session. Um, before we kick off the session, I want to say a few words to kind of set the context and um, put some thoughts into, into your heads, really. Um, what makes a good place? I think we all agree, and that's the subject of the conference. It is a place for people. People-friendly places also is a good place, and in my definition, it's probably also a sustainable place. A place where people can live happily, um, make good choices about their healthy lifestyles, active travel, and um, everything we have heard so far, really. Um, and a lot of people have written about the principles of people-friendly places. That's not always the heading they use, but I think um, they are instilled in these principles. So Francis Tibble, some 26 years ago, wrote his 10 chapters, 10 principles of what makes a people-friendly place. More recently, um, I think it was last year, the RIBA developed 10 characteristics of places where people want to live. So there are similarities between them. And as recent as I think last month or two months ago, the TCPA published the Healthy Homes Act. Again, it is 10 requirements for new homes, which again, for me, translates also to people-friendly places. Because if we get all the structures right, the spaces, the streets, it is still about the homes and the buildings. They need to enable people to live a positive lifestyle. And I think you might have seen the news the other day about 8 billion people live in unsuitable homes in this country. Um, that is definitely not people-friendly as far as I'm concerned. So we have the overarching principles, the strategies, and I would say we probably all agree with them, mostly. And I think also the wider profession, the technical professions, the politicians, and also the communities would probably subscribe to them. But in our day-to-day -day life as urban designers, we often deal and talk about these elements. And they are all absolutely essential to make a place work. But they all also have the power to either undermine people-friendliness, if they're not used in the right way, or really support people-friendly places. Um, we've previously, we have talked about the trees. We know about the conflicts between trees, streets, street lighting, all those elements. Drainage can be a very positive influence and um, allowing contact to nature, sustainability and so on, but it can also undermine people-friendliness. Waste management, again, it can be a positive. It can be integrated so it's seamless and practical, but it can also undermine people-friendly places. So these are the elements we deal with. And as an urban designer, we have to keep the overarching principles in mind and make sure that none of these elements, which we all need to put together in a positive way, don't undermine the people-friendly place desire. It's not only that, it's also process and legislation and directives and policies. All those influence the places we create. And all those can undermine the quality of the places we create, but they can also support it. It is starting at the national level. I think, and we heard Andy yesterday, we need to kind of, from the national level, support for people-friendly places and good design places. But we also, and um, some of the speakers will talk about it, need to get the strate strategic planning right. 
if we locate places in I mean new developments in unsustainable locations, we can only do as much as possible and color in the red line, but they will never be truly sustainable places. Um, but it goes all the way down to construction, operation, and maintenance, and we had some questions about maintenance already. So people who let contracts might not actually think that they have an impact on the people-friendliness of a place, of the quality of a place, but they do. If they let a contract with a certain kind of um, waste collection company with certain criteria within it, that can undermine the quality of a place. Codes of practice, CDM regulations, design guides, all those elements have an impact and we need to work together and collaboratively to get all those, um, all those legislation, all those guidance documents in the right place. But we also need to be sure it is based on research and evidence and that the practical feedback goes back into them. And they're great examples. We've heard about the ladder of quality already. Again, also the NHS publication, putting health into place, has been mentioned already. And Oxfordshire is kind of looking to find a different way to do strategic planning with a one-planet living framework and looking to plan Oxfordshire holistically with a time frame of 2050. So all those elements need to come together and we need to keep learning. We can't develop and build people-friendly places without collaboration. And I think that's not just us in the room, that's the technical um, consultants, the engineers, the highway engineers, um, the members, the community. And again, we will hear about some examples of working with communities and all those stakeholders. And we need to retain a focus on people. <coughs> Next time we sit in discussions with the highway engineers, with the drainage engineers, with the members, just always try to bring the conversation back on to people. What is good for the people who are actually going to live there? And refocus and remind people that that's what we ultimately want to do. So focus on people. This is a very old drawing from Tim. And it highlights very well all the different stakeholders, all the different types of people that we need to consider. And I just want to leave you with one thought before we start with the speakers, is children and young people. So what if we make children and young people the stakeholders, the key stakeholders for all our planning, development, design, and engineering decisions? What if we design streets for seven-year-olds, neighborhoods for nine-year-olds, and towns for 12-year-olds? Would that create people-friendly places for all of us? So I leave that with you, and we can come back to that later in the discussion, and also we will come back to that in another UDG event later in this year, which will focus entirely on children and young people. <laughs>